unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my services of the Boonville Church of Christ. I see we've got several visitors in our audience this morning, and you're our honored guest. 
we know also that there will be several joining us on social media, and we welcome you as well. In our services this morning, Brother Jordan Coates will be leading our singing. Brother Bo Gross has the opening prayer. Jonathan Green, the scripture reading. Brother Ken Forrest, the lesson of the morning. Brother Adam Carlson will be leading us as we observe the Lord's Supper, and then Todd Sweeney will have the announcements and closing prayer. On the way to services this morning, Brother Philip Young found out that his grandmother, Margie Young, who's a faithful member of the Fraley's Chapel congregation, had been placed on hospice, and he requests that we remember her in prayer this morning. So as we begin our worship service, would you bow with me? Our loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can assemble today to worship Thee. We pray that all that we do would be pleasing in Your sight. We ask Your special blessings to be with Margie Young and her family as she goes through this transition. We love You, Father. We're so glad that we can be supportive of one another. We pray that we would be a congregation pleasing in Your sight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Morning. First song this morning will be I Will Call Upon the Lord. I will call on the Lord, who is to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The Lord will and bless be the rock that God of my salvation be exalted. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
Just bow with me, please, as we go to God in prayer. And your loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Lord. So thankful for all the blessings that you've bestowed upon us, Father. But Lord, we're very thankful this morning for the opportunity to, to gather here together, to sing these songs of praise to you, Father, to lift you up in prayer, to hear another message from your word. Also, Father, for the ability to take of the communion, Lord, that represents your precious Son. Lord, we are mindful of those who are hurting, those who have are dealing with sickness, with disease, with the virus, Father. We lift them up to you, Father. We say a special prayer for, for Margie Young and her and her family as she goes through this, the last days of her life, Father, in this difficult time. Father, we're, but we're very thankful for her Christian life, Lord, that we, that we have that comfort of knowing that when our health fails, Lord, that you will be there waiting for us. Lord, we are very thankful for all the blessings, but, all the, but especially, Father, the blessings we have in your precious Son. Lord, we love you so much, and we realize that we fall so short of what you deserve, and we pray that you would forgive us where we fail you. Lord, please be with us through the rest of the service. And in our lives, Father, we pray that you would give us a home with you. In Christ's name, amen. Next song we'll be singing, Hallelujah to the Lord. <clears throat> Sing Thank you. 
Good morning. This morning's scripture reading before Brother Ken's lesson is going to be taken from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> he will save his people from their sins. I want to share with you Jesus today. Would that be all right? Before we start that, let's pray that God will bless us in that. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful to you for this day that we can be here together and to study your word, to participate in all of this worship. We pray, Father, that you will accept these things that we're offering you as they're intended. We pray that you are lifted up, you're pleased with our efforts. Father, we thank you that it isn't just the sound that we make, or just the words that we say. But you know our hearts. You know our hearts. You created us. But even more intimately, you sent your Son to be here and live among us, and then to die for us so that we could be saved. And today, to be able to stand in prayer before you as your people is just a humbling experience. I pray, Father, that you'll be with us today as we think about Jesus, the name that is above all names, that we will see Jesus as he possesses the unique ability to do something that no one else could do, Help us to see him as the anticipated Messiah, as the master teacher, and as he is in truth, your very son. Help me, Lord, that I can share the things that I have prepared in a way that's easy to understand. I pray for those who hear it that it can make the impression upon them that is necessary to develop that belief and that trust in your Son that many of us here today have. Forgive us, Lord, when we have, in some, even the most minute ways, devalued how precious He is to all of us. Help us just to reignite that passion for Him in our hearts today. And we thank you for the privilege that we have just to be able to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. This text, Matthew 1, verse 21, is going to kind of be our springboard for this morning, but it just reminds us of all that God did in order to make possible Jesus' coming, even right down to the very name that He would carry as He walked among men. A name that this text indicates relates to our salvation that he would save his people from their sins. I don't read that to myself in the past tense, do you? When I think about Jesus, I don't think just about what he did for someone else in some time past in a culture and place far away from me. I think about what Jesus does in order to make me a part of what is described here as his people and to be saved from my sins. The name Jesus, just simply that, Savior, or as the text says, He will save. In the Hebrew, there was a corresponding name, the name Joshua, that meant Jehovah is salvation. 
Or let's just make that plain. God is our salvation. I want salvation. I, I come here. I worship. I study. I preach. I listen. I sing these songs to be reminded of how valuable that salvation is. But sometimes, I guess we need to back from that a little bit and see what that really entails because the need for a salvation suggests quite plainly that we're in a desperate situation. We're in need of deliverance from something that is terrible. Jesus makes possible that deliverance. So Jesus will save us from our sins. Today, I want us to see what it is about Jesus that makes Him uniquely capable of doing that very thing. The first thing that I would note with you, probably the most outstanding of the things that we'll talk about, the thing that really puts Jesus in the forefront, is a historical matter. That we know Jesus because of prophecy. Jesus is the anticipated Messiah. In the book of Luke, chapter 2 and verse 12, akin to the text that we just read a moment ago from Matthew 1, verse 21, direction was given in finding Jesus. The instruction was that you would find a babe in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Okay, I envision that. I know the whole story about Jesus, as you most likely do. I've read the Gospels and seen the accounts there. We assimilate all of those different perspectives in order to have within our minds a picture of Jesus' coming into the world. Anticipated but identified this way in the most humble of descriptions. I'm pretty sure I understand now in reading a text like that why it is that the Jews are described in John chapter 1 as being in darkness. It wasn't just darkness in relation to the Word of God, but darkness in terms of their recognition and response to the Savior that God had sent. He came in the perfect time, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us. And so Jesus is coming expected, but then again, not identified by the people who needed him most, the Jews. The Jews weren't looking for a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Why, those Jews were looking for a king, uh, someone maybe likened to the angel of the Lord with some kind of a flaming sword and, and a white charging horse, a conquering leader. Somebody, you know, like Gideon, who could lead 300 men against the Midianites who were without number. Somebody like David, who was their great hero king, or Solomon and all his wisdom renowned for, for the great knowledge that he possessed. Someone like that was anticipated. Not, not a child born in such humble circumstances, in a, a feeding trough, wrapped up in gathered rags. Maybe some folks were anticipating what ultimately was rendered in artists' Depictions of Jesus. And you've seen them all through the ages. There is that little baby in that beautiful environment, such a, such a poetic scene, usually with a bunch of humbled animals standing around, and the angels up in the air singing and, and rejoicing in the coming of Jesus, and always a little halo over top his head. Oh, what a beautiful picture. But the reality of that very much different. In fact, except for the recognition of those just surrounding His coming, it went with very little notice. And even when attention was drawn to it sometime later, 
Herod, terrified, didn't really even know where to go because Jesus wasn't identified among all the other children that had been born, except again to those who were there on the occasion itself. Everything about Jesus' actual coming, though anticipated with fanfare and great triumph, in reality was very quiet and subdued. But prophecy. Prophecy, as opposed to what men's expectation was, actually nailed it. You know, Jesus was described in Scripture as being very lowly. So that is the humility, the quietness, the subdued nature of the beginning of it all. Or he's described as the son of David, which if you will read through the genealogies that are recorded for us in Matthew and Luke, you'll see from both sides, there he is identified within that lineage. And then the idea of him being the son of God. Quietly anticipated, not quite understood by the religious leaders of Jesus' own time, but that message that Mary was able to keep within her heart, to study as Jesus continued to grow. And you talk about the opposition that Jesus would face in his lifetime simply because he didn't come as was anticipated, nor did he grow into his society or in what society thought would be the big shoes that he would fill as an earthly king. So Jesus oftentimes, even in the midst of his spectacular preaching and teaching, had to overcome all kinds of stereotypes. Expectation, a great ruler, riding around on a white horse, flaming sword, I don't see it. Who is this Jesus? Many in Jesus' own town began to question that as his fame was growing. In the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 54, 55, and 56, they're like, where did he get these things? Where did he get the wisdom? Where did he get the mighty works? Listen, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother Mary? Don't we know his brother's? Now, let's see, they're James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters there among us. Where does he get these things? They certainly could not wrap their minds around Jesus. And who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before them as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was taken as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he had poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. 
the suffering Lamb of God, bearing all of the iniquity of the world, characterized here in Isaiah 53 as the triumph of God. Who would have imagined it? And there is Jesus in His humble estate, the very Son of God, the very fulfillment and the anticipation of ages past, unrecognized among the people of His own time. Jesus, Jesus for us, was the anticipated Messiah. But Jesus also was the master teacher. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 15, the scripture is just kind of giving us a just kind of giving us a glimpse of what was taking place in Jesus' surroundings. It just simply described what came to be an oft-recognized occasion. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 15. It says that he was in their synagogues. He was teaching them. They're learning from the instruction that he's given. And he was glorified by all. I love that word glory or glorified. The word describes a picture of something having the spotlight put on it. Okay, so here's the ironic thing. Jesus, uh, the Messiah, is anticipated by religious people, but Jesus isn't identified by His contemporaries as being that person. And yet as Jesus spoke, as He worked His miracles, a great testament to the power of God that was flowing through Him, here was Jesus, God in the flesh, the very Son of God, demonstrating God among people. Not hovering over them, You know, not just transcending mankind, but actually walking in the midst of them. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, John says, And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the uh, Father, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's just, you know, when when we were with Him, we couldn't miss it. Now, now trying to take what was a, a... fabricated or constructed image of who Jesus is compared to what He actually was, you just you had to discard that fantasy notion of Jesus to recognize God walking among you and to experience the glory of God in your midst. But who were the all? <laughs> you know, Jesus is this great teacher. Who's experiencing it? Some might like to dwell on those occasions when Jesus was experiencing the the kickback from the message that He preached. You know, we like to see the debates that Jesus entered into, the defense of the truth. We say, right there, there is a demonstration of the great power and wisdom of God. Hey, I get that when we talk that way. That makes sense. The reason I say that is because he's facing people like the Pharisees, you know, who thought they had it all together. And while they might say casually, yeah, you know, I'm not perfect, yet they tried to put on an air of perfection. Can you imagine a person who, who basically dresses themselves up in order to look pure and then being in the face of true purity, the purity that God is in the flesh? Amazing. In every one of those circumstances, Jesus would answer and then counter, not just in order to win an argument, but to plant a seed in the heart of one of those strict religionists. But also in that crowd were, well, let's just say it, they were needy people. I don't don't know about you, usually when I greet folks coming in here, how you doing, doing good, doing great, fine, whatever your typical response is. But some of you I know, you come in here and you say that to me, and I just kind of look through the words a little bit, because I know that, you know, you're experiencing something hard. In fact, I'm going to guess it's probably true that every one of us is experiencing something that's hard. It might be something that's happening right now. Or it might be something that has been gnawing at you for 20 years. Maybe a lifetime. 
Those kind of people, people like you and me, those were the people who followed Jesus around. Needy. They could hear Jesus talk about expectations of the kingdom without actually feeling Jesus browbeating them with a judgmental eye. They could relate to Jesus because He was often the object of ridicule Himself. Often falsely accused like many who were in that audience. Who were not guilty even of the things they were accused of. Or even in their guilt, still feeling an ally with Jesus because of what of what he taught about the truth of the kingdom, very different from what those who were so judgmental and prying in their lives actually asserted was the truth. Needy people weren't just emotionally emotionally needy. Some people actually had physical ailments or had some kind of difficulty that was keeping them, at least in their own mind, from really approaching God, something that made them less than whole, Jesus did a lot of healing in that regard. And then there were people who, maybe also like us, were disciples at varying degrees of faith. You know, some would say to Jesus, Oh, I believe, but help my unbelief. You ever felt that way? You know, I, I want to believe. I, I'm there, Lord. I'm with you. But, you know, please pull me along in this. Just help me. How many times have we said, and maybe, maybe vainly we have said it, Lord, just give me a sign. You know, just, just let me know somehow you are there. I say vainly because the truth is Jesus never really left us in our circumstance. Sometimes those trials and difficulties, they're there not to weaken and destroy us, but to make us stronger, to challenge us to greater faith. And so it was with those who followed Jesus, that we would call generally disciples from the very least up into the greatest who would trust Jesus even to step out onto water. And then there are the, of course, the twelve, the apostles, who were there with Jesus, lived with Him, traveled with Him, heard every sermon, saw every miracle worked, who would become witnesses to the world of their own faith in the things that they had seen. Jesus, as that master teacher, though, didn't always have a message fall on a pure and honest heart. And so there were those who, again, kicked back against the teachings of Jesus or who vainly offered what they thought in substitute of what Jesus had said, offering it to God anyway. Again, in the book of Matthew, at chapter 15, verses 7 and following, Jesus just with great exclamation says, Hypocrites! Isaiah was exactly right when he said about you that they draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It's just like Jesus crying out, snap out of this! You are a hypocrite and you know you are a hypocrite. And Isaiah prophesied about you so long ago. Wake up! How would Jesus reach people like that? Famous for all his parables, right? One time the disciples came to Jesus and they're just curious because it seems like every time he comes to, to speak to a group of people, when he wants to win someone over or to take an argument that he just won and just put the nail in it, he would always follow that up with some kind of parable. It just seemed like such a simple story that had a profound message and implication for those who were hearing it. And so they come to Jesus in Matthew 13, verses 10 and 11, and they ask Him, why is it that you teach people in these parables? And Jesus says, well, now for you, you know, you have the privilege, the benefit of sharing the wisdom, the mystery of the Word of God. The mysteries of heaven. 
But he says for them, they don't have that. I can only imagine those apostles who are going to be vested with the responsibility of carrying the gospel to the whole world. How that must have felt. You know, the pressure, the awe to know that the things we have heard from Jesus over and over and over again, they aren't just lessons to memorize and carry with us. These are things that have penetrated our hearts. We have actually, through our association with Jesus, unlocked the very mysteries of heaven. What an incredible teacher. A master teacher. Jesus was. But Jesus also was, and then let me add this, He is the Son of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, you have as much of a synopsis of who Jesus is as any other place in the Scriptures. It says, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. There's the whole message of Jesus' birth, His transcending life, and His ultimate carrying up into heaven. Unbelievable. There in one verse of Scripture, the whole story. But does that story impact us to the degree that we see Him as the Son of God? Do we experience every step in the the demonstration of God by the words of prophecy and the substantiation of those truths by miracles, wonders, and signs? Are we impressed as to who Jesus was and of who Jesus is? I love the text that we started out with from Matthew 1, verse 21. He will save His people from their sins. Right there, friends, is what I want to know about Jesus. He will save. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. He gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil age. Now you know that was written in the first century. I assume it was an evil age. But you know every age has been that for the child of God. For the one wanting a relationship with God, every age is the present evil age. We are in the present evil age. How can I rise above it? How can it be saved from it? The name? Jesus. He will save His people from their sins. He will save His people. Again, let's throw ourselves in that lump. In John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. Are you following Jesus? Are you adhering to His teachings? Are you following in the footsteps of Jesus? Are you striving to please Him? Has your life been transformed? Have you repented of a life of sin in order to give yourself over to a life with Jesus? Can you say with the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. He saved His people from their sins. There it is our deliverance. The terrible situation we find ourselves in because of sin. Made right through the Son of God. In Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age 
looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of a great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. You are His people. And His expectation is that we will strive for it, become our passion to do good things in His name. He'll save His people from their sins. Our new determination is to separate ourselves from this present evil age. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world's passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. That's us, yes? And then I think... You know, the Scriptures do just such an incredible job, either directly or just kind of in the back, in the scenes surrounding epic moments to tell us to confirm Jesus is the Son of God. I don't even know if you've noticed this. I read through the Gospels. Sometimes things just kind of catch my attention. When you read through the book of Mark, for instance, you are greeted in the very beginning with the declaration, chapter 1 and verse 1, that Jesus is the Son of God. There's no doubt about what this book is going to drive home. He is declared to be the Son of God. Just a few verses later, chapter 1 and verse 11, it is God Himself from heaven confirming regarding Jesus, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In chapter 8 and verse 29, it is Peter who makes that confession that Christ is the Son of God. In chapter 14 and verses 61 and 62, the high priest is questioning Jesus in this kangaroo court that they have assembled. Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus answers very simply, I am. And in chapter 15, following His death, In verse 39, it is that centurion who makes his observed conclusion, truly this man was the Son of God. Jesus uniquely provides for our salvation. In fact, in Acts chapter 4 and verses 11 and 12, we find out the truth related to Jesus. That for a long time as a stone, He had been rejected by the builders. He had been rejected by the religious establishment. But that rejection had separated Him from the pack, and now He has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now friends, today, that is my Jesus. Is He your Jesus? Have you achieved the blessedness, the knowledge of salvation, freedom from sin, having been washed in the blood of Christ because you obeyed the gospel? Do you have that satisfaction today? If you believe Him to be the Son of God and you're ready to change your life, to repent, to turn away from sin, to take on the life that Jesus describes. In full commitment, make your confession that He is the Son of God today. That God raised Him from the dead. Be buried in water to have your sins washed away by the blood of Jesus and to rise up in newness of life. Today can be a triumph for you. And it will have been because of the name of Jesus. That name above all names. If you're a child of God today, you wear His name. Have you been wearing it in a holy way? If for some reason that can't be said of you, there's some question in your heart as regards your relationship with the Lord, today is the day to make those things right. If you need to respond in repentance or you need to obey the gospel, won't you come while we stand together and sing this song?
morning and by way of beginning our observance of the Lord's Supper here for the next few moments, let me 
first ask, is there anyone who is in need of the emblems? As we prepare our minds to enter into this time of observance, of course, we think about the death of Jesus, the sufferings that were afflicted upon him, and the things that he did, and remembering that he did each and every bit of it for us so that we might have the hope and the promise of eternal life. Let us remember and consider briefly the words of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and in verse 24. Paul, in recounting these events, said, And when he, that is Jesus, had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you so grateful for this tremendous privilege of being able to assemble here as your people and to spend time in this period of worship. We come, especially at this time, thankful for you sending your Son so that we might have the promise of life, but we know that in order to have that, he had to suffer. And we thank you for giving us that gift and for what he did for us. And as we partake of this bread, may we remember his sufferings and may we be ever thankful. For this we ask, and in Christ's name, amen. In addition to Jesus' sufferings, we know likewise that through the things that he suffered, the scourging and various other things that were afflicted upon him, we know that he likewise gave his blood. And in continuation of Paul's statements to the Corinthians, he likewise says in verse 26, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So in like fashion, let us now go to the Lord in prayer and let us remember the shedding of his blood. Our Heavenly Father, we once more come before you in thanks and hearts of gratitude for sending Jesus to this earth and to again suffer in the fashion that he did in giving of his blood so that we might be freed from sin. As we partake of the emblem representing that act, may we remember that it is by and through him that we have salvation. And for this we ask, and in Christ's name, amen. And likewise, of course, we also want to remember of the material blessings that we have in Christ as well and all the ways in which we have been blessed. And we know that we're in a bit of an economic slump uh, right now, inflation and so forth. But nonetheless, through all of that, we are still, above all, the most blessed people. And let us remember the words of Paul again to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and in verse 7. And every man 
according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And as you can see on the uh, screen there behind me, uh, various options have been given uh, there for you to be able to fulfill that. And however you may choose to do that, let us likewise go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we again thank you so much for all things, and we thank you not only for the salvation and the promise of eternal life that we have through your Son, Jesus, but we also thank you for the material blessings that you give us, the necessities of daily life, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to give a portion of that back into you and may all that we give be done so cheerfully, and we ask you to be with the elders of the church as they consider various ways in which to use these resources and that they will do so in a wise way and will continue to be good stewards. And for this we ask, and in Jesus' name, amen. Just a real quick reminder about the progressive dinner tonight. Uh, it's not going to be very progressive. We're doing it all here. <laughs> but uh, if you signed up to make a dessert, instead of sending that out to the Elliots, you'll just take it to the annex with the rest of the food. So I just wanted to make sure y'all knew to do that or aware of that. Uh, any questions, come see me. Also, sign up for CYC today deadline. Good morning. As always, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are glad that you made that choice to come be with us, and we invite you to come back at any time you can. Have very few extra announcements this morning, but as always, be mindful of the prayer list that is in that bulletin. Uh, I think it was mentioned earlier, but please add Sherry Glenn to that list. Sue has asked us to do that. I believe she's having to deal with COVID at the moment, so please keep Sherry in your prayers. Uh, we had 284 in attendance this morning. Uh, just to go over the few announcements, uh, devotional at Landmark Nursing Home and Rehab is today at 4 p.m. If you're willing to help with this ministry, see Doug Smith or Jim Estes. Uh, I believe Jordan has just reminded everyone about Progressive Dinner as well as the CYC. Uh, that deadline sign-up is today. Half that payment is $37.50. Uh, visitation team members for the month of December, your assignment is to send cards to the bulletin card list each week. That's actually all the announcements we have this morning, so if you'll bow with me, I'll dismiss us in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we're so thankful for the opportunity that we've had to come and study your word and to worship you in song. Father, we're so thankful for your congregation here at Boonville and the many families of it. Father, we ask you to continue to be with each and every one of us and help us to carry ourselves out in our daily lives. It will be a pleasing Christian example to thee. Father, we thank you for our elders here at your church, and we ask that you continue to watch over them and continue to give them the guidance that they may lead us in a way that would lead us all to heaven in one day. Father, as we come up on the holiday season, we know we have several families that will be traveling or having families travel to them. Father, we ask that you watch over them and keep them safe, that they may have a safe return to their homes. And go with us throughout our daily lives. Continue to lead, God, guard, protect, and direct us. And most of all, Father, forgive us for we have failed thee. For Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. <laughs> 